Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Brothers and sisters, it's so good to be with you this morning. Once again, my name is Paul. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at The Plant. And I just want to say I love being with you guys. I really do. It's so good to be with you. Um, and I'm even more blessed to be, to be able to share this word with you all. And so I want to open up with a little story. You know, when I was, when I, was I would say, roughly around 19 years old, um, I had just... I just withdrawn from Penn State, and I was making my way into this decision of stepping into ministry. So I was on this, like, passionate fire for God. And while I was on a train towards Philadelphia, I see this uh, young brother sitting across from me. So I go over, you know, and my natural, like, extroverted personality sat down. Like, it's just the two of us on the train. I'm like, what's up, bro? And (laughs) he looks up, and he looks around, and he's like, Oh, hey. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we break the ice. Uh, we kind of share. Um, I ask him a couple questions. You know, like, how are you? How's your day? You know, he gives a little bit of his story. And he asks me, so uh, what do you do? Right? And I told him I was a student, but I was hoping to be able to pursue ministry and work for the church. And immediately his posture and his expression begins to change. And he, and he comes at me with this question that I imagine that many of us at some point in our lives have wrestled with. He says to me, and he asks, if God is so good, why does he let all these evil things happen in the world? And he kind of breaks down a little bit about his story, how he grew up Catholic, and he read the scriptures. He's read the Old Testament. And when he reads these stories of who God's people are and the things they do, how they kill all these people and ransack and all these things, he can't come to this conclusion that to, to be able to believe that God is truly good. He can't seem to be able to process that God is truly good. I mean, fast forward today, I was speaking at a retreat a couple weeks ago, and there's this uh, one brother, he was a leader uh, for one of the groups, and we just sat down and kind of uh, exchanged a little bit and got to hear his story, and he, he shares a little bit about what had recently unfolded in his life. Um, He doesn't go into too much details because he says, what happened to me, I can't share with you. All I know is that what had happened is irreversible. He never spoke up about what happened, but I I could just sense that there was a deep, deep hurt. And I I wasn't sure what it was, but I just proceeded and I asked him, so then... Where are you right now? What are you wrestling with? And he shared with me that he used to struggle with that very question that I just challenged you guys all with. That God, why would you let this happen to me? God, in all your goodness, in all your faithfulness, why would you let this happen to me? And maybe some of you are struggling with that very question right now. Maybe you're looking at the the state of your life. Maybe you're struggling with bills or struggling in your own workplace. I know Pastor Ravi said, how many of you have been working in in the same place for 10, 15, 20 years? And truth be told, some of you may actually even feel like this is, is this it? 
and struggling to get out. There might be others in your life that are wrestling with, that you look at maybe a family member who's struggling with a uh, physical, maybe a mental or emotional or even spiritual illnesses. And wondering, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in my life? And as we wrestle with this question, church, I want to invite you to really press into this. Because more oftentimes than not, we might settle into a place where we look to God and say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. It's just not fair. And so I want to invite you, church, this morning to really wrestle Wrestle these things with me. So if you have Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. Romans chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. And as we read the word of God this morning, would you all join me in standing before the word of God? It's only two verses, so I would love for us to all read this word together. In Romans chapter 11, the word of God says this in all God's people in unison. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah, the prophet, complained to God about the people of Israel. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Please be seated. See, when we look at this passage uh, in the book of Romans, Paul's struggling to understand why his Jewish brothers and sisters have failed to turn to Christ. See, in Jesus, Paul himself, being a fellow Jew, has found redemption and he's found reconciliation. But he looks, to, he looks to the others and wonders, why not them? Why have they not chosen Jesus? And even presses the question, what is to become of God's chosen people? Will God reject God's own? When we look at one of the treasure tenets of American life, uh, it's this idea and conviction that if you work hard, you will be rewarded. Effort will pay off. In the similar sense, uh, vice versa, if you're lazy and if you're ineffective, you'll find yourself either maybe at the bottom of the pile or out the door, right? If, we, if, you're, if you're not being... If you're not working hard, you're not being effective at your workplace, what, what ends up happening? You get fired. And if you work hard, maybe and you get a little lucky, you get a little promotion too, right? Either way, it's this idea for us in America that people get what they deserve and they deserve what they get. And for some of us that may have grown up in church you might hear this being converted through modern-day preachers um, into his view of their own version of the good news of the gospel, insisting that God wants you to be in this do-well lifestyle. That all we have to do is believe that you attend church, and when the 
offering basket comes around, you, you know, you pony up a little bit. And this version of, this, of the good news is that God will be pleased with us and, will, and he will reward you with your own riches. Now, unfortunately, to break the bad news, good news, I don't know. This form of prosperity gospel, there's very little evidence to support this in the scriptures. See, the, gospel, the truth of the gospel is so much more than that. Is so much more than that. See, our relationship with God is not one that is transactional. God is not, if you do this for me, I will do this for you. In fact, there is no being in creation that is rewarded for their goodness. See, it's almost scandalous in, in, in this story of grace that we would receive God's good gifts in spite of who we are, in spite of ourselves. See, even disobedience to God's way somehow, that even when we go off the path with God, he somehow takes that path and makes it an avenue for his grace, for his mercy. And we never seem to really get what we deserve. See, brothers and sisters, if we did, we would all perish and we'd be dead. There would be no church. These seats would be empty. See, we can never deserve what we do because God seems to love us so deeply. And yet God has this long, ongoing history of what I would just understand it as irrational. It's an irrational love. A love that makes absolutely no, no sense. From in the beginning, mankind has been determined, each and every one of us seems to be so determined to go our own way rather than following God's way. And you see so many accounts throughout the scriptures of God's people and just God going back and forth, back and forth. God blesses them, they take the blessing and they run with it, doing their own thing. And when things go bad, they come back to God and God, ah, we're sorry, you know. It's constant forgiveness and mercy. And I look at it, I'm just like, man, God, you're in a toxic relationship, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's so toxic. And what's even worse is that it's like God's like that one friend that seems to, he seems to never learn and understand. God, why? Why do you keep letting them back in? And there's this word in scripture that we fall upon, this word called chesed. And this word is often translated as steadfast love. It's, and it's usually often used to describe the love of God, a love that is steadfast, that when, when I choose to love you, there is no demand or need for return. It's one that we would often define as being unconditional. And I think this is where it gets a little difficult for a lot of Christians, especially for Christians who are insistent on working hard to be independent and self-sufficient. 
For many of us, that's the American Christian. Many of us play and love, we, we, we seem to participate in this whole, I'll pray, I pay, and I obey. And it dominates the church theology, it seems to dominate the churches, especially in America, where we're more used to giving to charity and giving in charity than receiving it. See, it's very difficult for us, especially in America and the Western culture, to be indebted to somebody. I mean, we look at ourselves and even the American church, how we love being the senders of missions. While I'm blessed that our church has sent two teams out this year, believe it or not, if you look at the rest of the world, you have more missionaries coming from Asia, from South America, from Africa, into the United States now. Believe it or not, church, we are no longer the centers of missions, but we have become the mission field. And that's tough for us. That if some African brother comes over here into this church and tells, tells you, Ed, you need Jesus, man. That you got it wrong. You need Jesus. Or it goes up to Ben. Ben, you need Jesus. And we may look at this person. He may not be in some fine clothes for, all we know, for whatever attire that he wears. And we, may, we may judge him for that and look at him and just, who are you to come to me and tell me what I need? And that becomes so much more challenging to us. See, I love the way one of my favorite uh, pastors, Matt Chandler, he describes this. He uses this illustration through David and Goliath how he says, you're not David. While we love this idea of being the protagonist and hero of the stories when we read through a scripture, Church, you're not always David in the story. You are not always the hero. And you may look at all the rest of the world and all these people in your story, and you may share it as like, yeah, that's my Goliath. That's that mountain I got to climb. That's this and that. All these big, massive things. But church, you are not always David. Truth be told, sometimes you might be someone else's David or someone else's Goliath. If I heard someone else's story, you might come out as being the Goliath that they need to slay, the mountain you need to climb. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard truth to take in. And somehow we get caught up in this that maybe if my good behavior could salvage this. That maybe if I do the right things, that my life will turn out okay. Because God's sovereignty is covering me, right? No. See, the truth of the gospel is that God's sovereignty is not linked with your good and bad behavior. In fact, church, God's mercy is far more vital, far more key, far more important than your good or bad behavior. His mercy plays a far more vital role to his sovereignty than what you do. 
And Paul struggles to understand how Israel, God's chosen people, can remain in the circle of God's love after rejecting him. And Paul's struggling to understand this. And we see in chapter 11, in chapter 11, Paul comes to this conclusion and he says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you, were gen- once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel were rebelled against God, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everybody in, his, in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. For his gifts and callings are irreplaceable. They cannot be withdrawn. They cannot be revoked. And Paul concludes that the people's rejection of God that these Jewish brothers and sisters who continue to reject Jesus does not lead to God saying, well, I'm going to chop you off. I'll cut you off. That's it. You're done. And even for us, brothers and sisters, we may violate our own integrity. But God, God in his integrity, in that chesed, that steadfast, that constant love, he remains true to who who he is. And as many, as, as many of us may be blessed every Sunday to come and receive a word, I don't know what you do out there. Pastor Rob doesn't know. And despite what goes on when you walk out through these doors, does not change the way God sees you. It does not change the way God hears you and the way God knows you. See, Paul concludes that it is impossible for God to reject his own beloved, especially for those whom God has called and created. See, God, when we look at the apostle Paul, he doesn't let Paul go. I mean, if you read the scriptures, you see who Paul was before. God doesn't let the Gentiles go. They didn't even know who God was, let alone his existence. And Paul concludes that neither will God let his chosen people go either. Even if he's been in their life entire and generation after generation after generation. See, it's difficult for Paul to comprehend fully the love, the plans and purposes of God. Paul's comprehension is limited by the scope of his humanity. Church, how can we possibly understand God's plans and ways in our own two-pound brain? The creator of heaven and earth being compressed and compiled into something that we can comprehend? See, in Isaiah it says, for, thought, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than yours. See, Paul, quote, Paul himself quotes Isaiah at the end of chapter 11 when he asserts that God's ways are just even if God does not disclose his own thoughts to you. Church, you may not understand why these things are happening. You may not understand why you've been dealt the cards you've been dealt. 
But what Paul knows for sure, and that is absolute, is that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back whether you do good or bad, or whether you do right or wrong. He may not understand why everything's unfolding when he looks at his Jewish brothers and sisters, but if there's one thing he knows is that he can trust God, not only in the present, but also their future. And when I look at this, so much of us are wrestling with, we wrestle with this. That we can't seem to comprehend, God, why? Why in my life? And I, and I love the way Francis Chan, he illustrates this idea of what eternity looks like. See, we seem to somehow comprehend that God's plan needs to fit and be compressed into our life. That if there's this long rope and just the tip of this here is colored, this is your life right there. I don't know if some of you in the back can see how big this is, but it's just right there. This is you. And this is all that God wants for you but you get consumed with just this you let every decision every piece of your life seem to be dictated into this forgetting that God's plan is for all of this all of that see truth be told God is passionate for you. God desires you. His dream is not for you to figure this out, but to understand that there is all of this for you. That if it ends here, it's not the end for you but that there is all of eternity that he wants to spend with you. See, we can't comprehend all of this yet because we're not there yet. I look at my son, and I can see so much of his life before him, but he can't comprehend that yet. He can only see what he's experienced. And yet my son still trusts me as his father to still show him all of this. My son has recently started learning how to ask questions. His favorite question is, Appa, what you do? <laughs> and as much as I try to, in three different languages, explain to him, I know he doesn't fully grasp it. In fact, his, my answers aren't fully comprehended. And even though he may not understand it, if there's one thing he understands, is here, take my hand. And he does. And he follows.
we may not, brothers and sisters, you and, you and I may never fully grasp why God is doing what he does and when he does it or where he does it. There are questions that, truth be told, that I can't answer for you. God, why does all this evil happen in this world? If you're good, why are people starving? Why are people dying? And church, I don't have that answer. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I make mistakes. And when I think I've learned my mistake, I may, I probably do it again. Actually, no. I know I do it again. No matter how old I get, I seem to still not quite figure it out. And who can possibly understand the way why God has chosen to redeem this world? See, he sees it. He sees it just the way you see it. He knows what's going on. He knows this world is a mess. And I can't comprehend or understand why God's answer to all of this was that. Why, why send his son? He didn't do anything. But you send your one and only son onto this earth to be born, not even a good place, a barn, a little manger in Bethlehem. His life proceeds and share ends on the cross, one of the most brutal ways to die. And the answer to out of all of that is an empty tomb. And I think of the story to resolve all this would be the story of the prodigal son. See, in Luke chapter 15, it helps paint this picture for what this looks like. You have this picture of a father waiting on the front porch, eyeing the road for the sign of a son who's walked away from him. Now, we're not told how long he waits. We only know that he's faithfully watching for as long as it takes. And when the prodigal son returns, the father runs ahead and he embraces the one who has come home. The father rejoices and celebrates and he throws a summer party. Mm. Can I ring a bell for that one? (laughs) (laughs) See, but when the prodigal son returns and the father is throwing a party, there's somebody that's not happy. You have the older brother, he's angry and refuses to attend this summer party for his younger sibling. And the older one, he's not able to process or understand this chesed, this love that will not let the younger son go. Or the same love, he can't even comprehend the love that the father has that is still embracing him despite his anger, despite his questions, despite his frustration. See, this chesed is a love that is unconditional. It's not based on your obedience. It's not based on mine. It's not based on how much faith you have or how much love you can retain or give. But this is a love that God offers to you freely. There are no conditions. 
and he gives it to you now. He gave it, he offered to you back then, and he will continue to offer to you every single day of your life. I want to ask the praise team to come up. You know, going back, going back to that story of that young, uh, young youth group leader at the retreat, when I heard about his wrestlings, my response was with another question then. Brother, what are you doing here then? What are you doing here? And I loved his response. And if there's, if there's one thing I could, I would want you to walk away from all of this. If you forgot everything I said, but just remember this one thing. He says, despite what has happened, God does not let any of us go. He holds on to you. He is constantly holding on to you and pursuing you. He is passionate for you. And he loves you. I love the the vision and mission that Pastor Rob has for our church. To know God and to make him known. But there's a piece in there that I want to share and invite you all into. A truth. And it's simply that God, he sees you. He hears you, and he knows you. There's not one of you that is forgotten. Brothers and sisters, God loves you so much that he will send his one and only son to die for your sins, for what we deserved. But through his death and resurrection, we are offered the gift of life. I can't answer your questions. I don't know the answers to all of them. But there is one that you can wrestle this with. And I want to invite you to keep holding on to him the way he's holding on to you. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into your presence and into your word to wrestle with the difficult questions to wrestle with the challenging thoughts. It's a lot to handle, Lord. But God, I know that we're not in this alone, but that you have been with us every single step of the way. God, you are holding on to us, and I pray my brothers and sisters would walk away knowing that God is holding on to them that you are constantly pouring your love into them and finding a way to bring them home. May they know that, God, you are passionate for them and that you love them so deeply. Holy Spirit, would you lead us to a place where we pursue you the way you pursue us, to wrestle with you the way Jacob wrestled with you, and to never let you go. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Come with anointing. Come with your presence. And fill us. We love you and thank you.
Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people say. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.